My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. Would you like the good news or the bad news about the massive avian flu outbreak that's currently happening right under our noses here in Canada? We'll start with the good, because it's Friday. Avian flu doesn't pose a serious risk to humans. A lot of things would have to go really wrong for that to change. The bad news is some of those things already are going wrong, so that's not great. But even if avian flu never poses a threat to humans, it still poses a very real threat to Canada's poultry industry and the people it employs, and not for nothing, millions upon millions of birds who are either dying from a horrible virus or more likely being culled because the virus found its way into their farm. The current strain of avian flu circulating in Canada is a variant that is more pathogenic than its predecessors and doesn't display symptoms until long after a host is infectious. Sound like any other viruses you know? Now picture everything that we've done for two-plus years now to fight COVID. Social distancing, isolation of symptomatic people, masking, vaccinations, etc., etc., and then... Picture a commercial chicken or duck farm. So you can imagine how hard it is to control spread of this virus. Avian flu is in more places than it's ever been in Canada. And it's still spreading. So what do you need to know about it? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Jean-Pierre Valencourt is a veterinarian and researcher from the Université de Montréal. Hello, Jean-Pierre. Hi. Why don't we begin um, with you kind of explaining what is avian flu? I feel like people listening will understand a little bit more about infectious diseases now than they would have if I asked you to explain this a couple years ago. We're just a little more familiar with them. So, so let us know what it is. Yeah, well, um, bird flu is an, uh, another type of uh, RNA virus, uh, like COVID, is, of course, a coronavirus. In this case, it's an influenza virus. And we have uh, influenza viruses everywhere uh, in humans, uh, other types of animals. And there's what we call avian influenza viruses. And um, there's a, a big bunch of them. And we categorize them based on uh, some characteristics that they have at the surface of the virus. That's why we call it a HNN. Like in the case uh, today, we have H5N1. That, so that's how we basically uh, name them. Um, and these viruses are found essentially uh, the reservoir, the main reservoir is in migratory birds. 
Before we get to the particular version of the virus we're dealing with in Canada this year, how long have we been combating avian flu in, you know, uh, farmed chicken and and duck stocks? And and what does it do to the animals? Well, you know, the when we talk about avian flu, we have uh, uh, two categories. Uh, you have the uh, low pathogenic and the highly pathogenic uh, avian flu. Uh, and so uh, in Canada, uh, historically, we've had uh, in wildlife uh, the low pathogenic uh, kind, whether they are H5s or H7s. It's a very low prevalence out there, and it, it will not translate uh, virtually never, uh, not all, uh, you know, in, in commercial uh, birds or domestic birds. We've had historically... Uh, like in 2004, an H7 and N3 uh, uh, low path virus uh, that became highly pathogenic because they can mutate and sometimes they can uh, meet another influenza virus and create uh, an, a new variant, if you will, uh, of the virus uh, sometimes when they do that, either via uh, mutation or uh, they will reassort their genetic material to create a new uh, version. So in Canada, uh, we've had, like in 2004, uh, a fairly large epidemic in uh, British Columbia. Uh, the following year, we had a, a case, I think, in Saskatchewan. In 2015, we had a few more cases, including two in Ontario. But um, uh, we, we started looking at highly pathogenic avian influenza in 1959, worldwide. And, and since that time, we've never had uh, highly pathogenic avian influenza uh, viruses in domestic birds um, in Quebec. Uh, so it's a very rare event that we have right now. What is different about this time? And, and what do we know about the current variant, I guess, that we're seeing and um, how devastating it could be? Yeah, well, the big difference is that in the past, uh, because we had, for example, in Quebec, we have recorded another H5N1 uh, because uh, being H5N1 doesn't mean that it's, for example, there's one in Asia that has killed people. Uh, well, the one we're dealing with in Canada, thankfully, doesn't do that. And so uh, there are uh, differences, but for the most part, uh, we've been re uh, looking, doing surveillance in wildlife and all that for many, many years, and we've always found low pathogenic avian influenza viruses. But since about 2000, uh, about 2000 we've discovered uh, uh, an H5N1, uh, the one in Asia, uh, that could directly be highly pathogenic. Uh, and infecting the reservoir, the migratory birds. Mm -hmm. Now we know we have two. We have an H5N8 that was a big problem in Europe uh, over the past couple of years. And now this H5N1 that is right now highly pathogenic already in the wildlife. Usually that the, we didn't see that before. So that's a big change. And the reason it's a big deal is because these highly pathogenic avian influenza viruses have a tendency uh, when an animal uh, is infected, then the animal will shed a lot more virus 
uh, in feces, for example, or in when when if the animal is coughing, because you're asking what the the virus is doing. If if the animal is susceptible, that animal first of all may uh, have respiratory signs, may have diarrhea, and often you'll see mainly in ducks, for example, uh, nervous signs. So that could be a duck that's walking backwards, uh, that it keeps looking up in the air. Um, they uh, will have all sorts of, of weird behavior. Uh, and so it, they, the clinical signs that we see, they depend a lot uh, about uh, what type of bird we're dealing with. Is it a chicken, a turkey, uh, or a duck? Uh, the uh, clinical expression will be totally different depending on that type of bird. Before we get into the scale of the problem in Canada and the ramifications uh, for the industry, you know, you mentioned it. I'm sure our listeners are wondering it right now. Um, the virus is in Canada right now. Can they jump to humans? Are they dangerous to humans? And, and is there a risk that they could mutate to do so? I think we're all uh, pretty much on alert for that kind of thing these days. Yeah, and, and public health is, is certainly very concerned about that. And I think it's it's fair to be concerned. Now, the probability is extremely low, but you're asking, uh, is is it a risk? The answer is yes. Is it likely? The answer is no. Uh, so um, the, the, the odds are uh, this virus, which is not a zoonotic virus, right? What do we call zoonotic? If we say it's zoonotic, that means that it can go from wildlife to humans. But this current influenza uh, virus that we have in Canada, this highly pathogenic one, does not get people sick. Now, there's one report in Europe of somebody who uh, uh, got infected. Uh, they, they could demonstrate that the individual was infected, but that individual was not sick at all, had no clinical signs. And, and there's tens of thousands of people in Europe who have been directly exposed to the virus. So, uh, and, and if you're just a consumer, you, you eat uh, meat or eggs, for example, you're even much more removed from the action. So right now, uh, the public should not be concerned about uh, getting infected or sick uh, from that virus. Well, that's good to know. But in terms of our domestic animal populations, especially farming, uh, chicken, eggs, ducks, etc., how bad is the problem in Canada currently and how bad could it get? Well, uh, what, something that's really unusual, we've never had a situation where we had like seven provinces with cases. Mm. And right now we have cases in British Columbia. Uh, Alberta's got several farms infected. Ontario has many farms, and it's all over the place. Uh, that means that uh, the uh, environment is probably heavily contaminated. And that's the big. That's one of the big differences compared to what we had before. Uh, so how come Canada now has this virus uh, on domestic, uh, in domestic birds in several provinces within a few weeks? Well, what we've had is a virus that has two characteristics. I mentioned the first one, when the animal is infected, it's going to shed a lot of particles, about a thousand times more than other viruses, influenza viruses that we have monitored before. Huh. Okay, so that's a huge thing. The So the environment that those birds that are infected coming from elsewhere can really contaminate the environment. The other thing is, 
ducks and geese in particular may eventually get sick, but they're going to stay healthy and start shedding the virus up to five, six days mm. before they get sick. And so they can move around. They can really spread the virus for a long time. Uh, and, and so that's the, uh, that's the big difference. I want to try to give people a sense of what can happen when uh, this virus finds its way into a uh, domestic bird facility. And, and in particular, there's one in uh, Quebec called uh, Brom Lake Ducks. And maybe before we talk about what happened there, uh, you visited this farm before. You know, can you just describe it? Give us a sense of the operation. Well, it's actually more than one farm. Uh, they have at least uh, uh, 12 or 15 different sites. So they have one hatchery where they, they have a few hundred thousand eggs that can be in incubation at any given time. And on that very site, uh, within 100 meters, they, you have uh, breeder farms, breeder barns, actually. They have uh, 12 uh, barns there where you could have uh, breeders, essentially. They also have a, a small uh, store where people can come and, and, and buy products. Uh, in the past, they also had the uh, slaughter plant on that site, but that a few years ago, um, it was removed and, and, and placed elsewhere, which is very good. And so, and then you have these production sites where you have for meat uh, birds, uh, d d for these ducks. Now, all none of them uh, get the birds outside. So it's not like you see in Europe where you have a lot of the production uh, done uh, in the field. Uh, these are all uh, traditional uh, buildings uh, met also for the weather because in winter, as right. you can imagine, you do not get the ducks outside. Uh, ducks outside. And so uh, these are like closed buildings uh, where you have uh, the ducks, and and it's all in the Estrie uh, region. It's it's quite um, uh, they're fairly close to one another in a way. Now, what happened uh, to Brom Lake? And I understand they they've been dealing with outbreaks. How did the virus find a way in? If we know that, and and what happens when it does? Yeah. Well, uh, another thing that that is not too far from the main site where you have all these breeders is that they have a lake there. And so whether you have a lake or a pond, uh, wherever you got water um, and you have these migratory birds that are coming in. So what has happened in Canada, not only for the Estrie region, but elsewhere, is that a few weeks ago, we had some very unusual weather uh, with very strong winds that brought some geese from Europe to uh, Canada, hmm. and these are birds we normally do not see here, and these birds were infected. And so they contaminated not only the environment, but they contaminated as well the local birds, the blue jays. So these birds then have contributed to uh, shedding the virus uh, just about everywhere, but in particular where you see these wild uh, ducks and geese. And so um, what has happened uh, most likely is that um, some contaminated environment, contaminated environment uh, was visited and, and somebody uh, basically uh, walked in uh, possibly uh, with contaminated boots uh, or there was like um, uh, dust uh, from outside 
uh, and and with strong winds, and it's nearby, and that man, uh, helped the virus get in the building. Uh, we don't know for sure how it got in, but it can get in on your boots, on your hands, uh, on equipment. Right. It's not a virus that will travel for a long distance in the uh, in the air. Okay, it it can get airborne, but research that's been done on it has shown that uh, it's within seventy meters. Sure, uh, it can travel by air, but uh, more than that, uh, on unlikely. And so uh, if you have close proximity between two buildings and you have like mechanical ventilation, well, of course, one building can contaminate another one. But this is not a virus that can travel for kilometers uh, between sites. So you really need to have uh, some kind of physical movement to bring the virus in. And then when it happens... Of course, uh, and in this case with uh, this particular oper operation, and you know they, they produce per year uh, a little bit over 2.5 million birds. So wow. this is a, a fairly large company by Canadian standards for for the duck business. Uh, well, when they got in, uh, then of course the spreading within the flock is extremely fast. That's why we say something goes viral. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't hear something goes bacterial, uh, you know. So uh, it, it went viral uh, indeed. And and then uh, for, in no time, you started having clinical signs. Now, the, the thing is, these clinical signs vary a lot, but they are quite spectacular in, um, in ducks uh, with the nervous signs. In uh, turkeys... And chickens, not as much. Uh, but in turkeys, for example, in Ontario, when you have a site infected, you may end up having 50% mortality within a couple of days. Hmm. Okay, uh, That's why we call it highly pathogenic, is that uh, all the birds will get sick and you could get mortality rate uh, way in excess of 50%, uh, reaching potentially all the way to 100%. My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. You mentioned earlier that there are outbreaks um, all over the country in several provinces and in many locations. As this continues to spread in the way you kind of just described, what are the big picture problems for the industry? You know, it's a 2.5 million bird farm and they've lost like breeding stock. Um, how dangerous is this just to domestic production of chickens, ducks, eggs, etc.? Well, it's technically a seasonal thing. So uh, the at-risk season started um, in April and should end by mid-June. Uh, that, that's for, for us here in, in North America. Um, so that's the first thing. So in July, we should not be uh, seeing uh, new cases. But uh, what's the problem is 
uh, Europe has a lot more experience than us about it. And what we've seen is that they've been hit several times since 2015. And what we think has been happening is that with climate change, uh, what the uh, researchers are uh, looking at these wild birds, the migratory birds, they've noticed that some uh, different species of birds didn't use to meet. They used to be in different ecosystems. But because of changes in the climate, uh, all of a sudden they're mixing. They're getting close to one another. And this seems to have contributed to the emergence of new viruses, including that H5N1. And when it comes to the uh, H5, the, the, the main component of that virus, we can talk about a, a pandemic because it is everywhere. And the H5N1 that we have in Canada, the original source, for example, in Europe, is actually virtually everywhere in Europe. It's in uh, not only in the 27 countries of Europe, but, but even around it. Hmm. Uh, so, uh, and now the big concern is that it may be a yearly occurrence. It may stay seasonal, but there's no telling, of course, but there's a fairly uh, sizable risk that what's happening right now here, we may have it again next year. Now, we didn't talk like that in 2004. In 2004, we had a big issue uh, out west in British Columbia. The following year, a case in Saskatchewan, and that was about it. Uh, and then they never, they didn't have problems until 2015. Now we have a situation where we look elsewhere in the world, and what we see uh, is a source of big concern. Because if it gets into our chicken production, for example, we have many more farms, chicken farms, than duck farms. And if it gets into an area of high concentration, uh, and in Ontario, it's already in highly uh, dense, dense area, poultry dense areas. Right. And so the potential there for horizontal spread uh, is, is becomes quite high. And, and so we still don't have a huge concern for uh, human health, but uh, there's then a concern for the health, the economic health of the industry, and I would say also the psychological health of the growers, right. because uh, we know that growers that have had the problem uh, really are hit really hard with this thing. You know, they feel really bad uh, to, to to be part of the problem, and uh, and there are some very uh, serious psychological and economic consequences. So what do we do about this? Is there a solution? Is it just vigilance? Would we maybe eventually see uh, vaccinations for birds? Is that a stupid question? Like, what kind of strategy do we use if this really is going to be something that we deal with on an ongoing basis? Well, the first thing is we need to uh, work on our biosecurity. We actually have measures to prevent pretty much the entrance of the virus uh, in domestic birds. Uh, if you have birds outside, you know, backyard flocks and all this, uh, we may have to uh, ask people to keep their birds inside at least during the high risk period. Uh, so uh, possibly uh, April, mid-April to mid-June, something like this. We need to improve our biosecurity because there's a lot of people who know what should be done, but they don't necessarily do it. Uh, because they have no problem. 
historically they've had no problem. So uh, the motivation was not there. Now I think we'll be a little bit more motivated. Um, now the other thing is we need to uh, uh, work with uh, the uh, provincial and federal government to make sure that we are sharp at reacting if we get a case. Because if you get one case, uh, one farm infected, for example, in a province, and you can contain it to that, well, it's a pain. It's tens of thousands of dollars uh, fairly quickly that may have to be spent, but it's doable. Uh, the problem is when you go uh, from one uh, uh, outbreak to 30 outbreaks, uh, nobody mm. can uh, deal with that effectively. In, the, in one region of France, they went from six outbreaks to 338 outbreaks within a week. And so that's what we want to avoid. So now you're asking about vaccination. In Canada right now, we're talking about it, but our strategy is still to eradicate. We don't want to live with it. But in many countries in Europe, now they're talking about a vaccination. It's not a dumb question. Uh, the, the big issue, though, it's not as simple as saying we vaccinate or we don't. Because if we vaccinate, there are impacts in terms of, of, of commerce. Uh, you, uh, if you would export something, and, but you've been vaccinating, that could limit your ability to export a product. If you're going to vaccinate, you need to be in a position to differentiate a flock that's been vaccinated from a flock that's been infected. Okay, so you need to have diagnostic tests allowing that. So it's a very complex issue, mm -hmm. and it's being very seriously discussed uh, in Europe at the uh, European community because they are in much worse shape than us right now. What's the one thing that the average Canadian needs to understand about uh, avian flu and, and what it could do that we haven't already discussed? Well, I think that the general public uh, needs to realize that we have a situation that's not really new, that we, we've known how to handle it. Uh, at the same time, uh, it's a livelihood uh, for a lot of people in rural uh, Canada. Um, and that uh, we need to pay attention uh, to this as a community. Uh, so uh, we can deal with it. We can control it. We can make sure that it's not an issue in terms of public health. But people, uh, the general public, needs to pay attention. Uh, if you are out there and uh, you uh, notice that you see dead birds, uh, in an area, in a place. And it's unusual. You've never seen that before. I think people need to report it. Um, if if you, uh, you go to a, a pond, a lake, you like to feed, you have like old bread that you want to give to ducks and all that, it's fine. But you need to realize that when you go in these region, in these places, and then uh, if you, you have to be careful if you then will be in contact with a backyard flock, for example. Uh, so it's just not an issue with the industry. It's an is issue potentially for, for everybody. Thank you so much for this. And uh, I'll watch out for ducks doing weird things like walking backwards. That's the image I can't get out of my head now. <laughs> That's good. You're welcome. Jean-Pierre Valencourt from the Université de Montréal. That was The Big Story. For more, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Find us on Twitter, 
at TheBigStoryFPN. Email us at hello at TheBigStoryPodcast.ca or call us and leave us a message, ask us a question, pay us a compliment, criticize us, whatever you want. Call us at 416-935-5935. That's 416-935-5935. And we'll listen to everyone. You can find The Big Story wherever you get your podcasts. You can ask for it on smart speakers by saying, play The Big Story podcast. Stephanie Phillips is the lead producer of The Big Story. Joseph Fish and Braden Alexander are our associate producers. I am Jordan Heath-Rawlings. Have yourself a safe weekend. I hope it's spring where you are. And we'll talk Monday. My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate. How a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.